rubblicious. My wife calls me bobble sometimes. Whatever she likes. Bob is. Huh. I forgot that Bob was a variant of Rob. Yeah. Catrice is here. Hi, Catrice. Hi. This also means that since you're a designer, you are now Bob the Builder. Hey. Uh, and Mark's here tonight. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Uh, we're going to be talking about things that we like, namely role-playing games. Do you like those? Yep. And designing them. <laughs> and design. Think. Think. We like we like that stuff here. And if you like that stuff, you're in the right spot. And if you don't like that stuff. Uh, you're also in the right spot because you can't be in the wrong spot. So, welcome. Pretty convenient. Yep. Well, can't is a strong word. I'm pretty yes. sure I can find a wrong spot. I mean, there's less optimal spots for sure for certain purposes, but I don't know if there's a wrong spot. Anywho. Uh, we're talking today, speaking of audience limits, <laughs> we're talking about audience limits and design. Can you push them? Are they there at all? We don't know. We're going to ask that question. Just to define this a little bit more, what, what do you mean by audience limits? Is this like comfort? Is this, uh, Ooh. attention? What, what are you? Mm -hmm considering well let's say let's say the basic audience limits is whatever gets them to not leave the game yeah it's, i think that's probably a good starting point is if it actually makes people not play the game anymore or they quit or they don't start playing in the first place like if they for example if it's like an RPG book, and they see it in the store, and they pick it up mm -hmm. and look at the first few pages, and they set it back down. Mm -hmm. You probably hit a limit somewhere. So, this, so Kat, you, you literally said that about the last version of Ashes I put up, which means I've pushed your audience limit too far. Gasp. I did it. So I violated your audience limit. What was the limit that I violated? Uh, in that particular case, I think possibly cheesiness. Ah! Awesome. That if, wasn't if, if, really I, what you were going <laughs> for, but... No, 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 no. I, I, I would, I am happy to have my RPG described as, as the RPG equivalent of van panel art. I'm fine with that. So... You know, I'll take cheesy. I like quesadillas. <laughs> so basically for you, Catrice, this was a limit in terms of the tone that the game was setting that didn't quite meet what you were looking for. It, it didn't meet... Well, I think part of it is also that I know what the game's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And it did not match up with it at all. So mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. it was... Part of breaking the limits of expectations because, like, 
if I was looking for a game that was ex on the cheesy side of things, then that might have been okay for it. But it's like, yeah, looking at it for like what I was looking for for mm -hmm. for Ashes, it did not need it at all. It was like yeah. this is this is not presenting to me what I want from Ashes. Mm. Okay. I and think that's fair. Good way of looking at this topic as well is just like the game is going to come with some inherent expectations that you place on it, either because the game says so, or that's what it looks like, mm -hmm. or this is what the players have discussed. Or you've and seen previous editions. Exactly. Yeah. And that, mm -hmm. that might be broken, and that might push that limit of this is no longer aligning with the expectations that I have for this game. Oh, that is definitely a big risk like we do know that this does happen like uh D&D 4th edition for example was a really good example that it it wasn't D&D &D for a lot of players yeah i yeah. for some of them were just like no i this doesn't feel like what i want this to be yeah and probably i would say a, a, there's a in, not insignificant chunk of people that said that without playing it because I mean, that's just going to be the case, right? Because they picked it up and saw a format that was really alien. <laughs> and they were like, what is this at all? And I don't blame them. I think one of the big problems that they rectified in 5th edition with 4th edition was going back to a, a format that players were sort of expecting from previous editions of D&D. They retained an aesthetic look to the format but there's actually another limit yeah. mm -hmm. that i was actually talking about with someone yesterday on it mm -hmm. and they were pointing out that like a couple of players that they'd played with like they tried dming a couple of games of D D, and their players liked their games but mm -hmm. they didn't want to play fourth edition anymore because um, the biggest issue for them was the amount of math and how long combat took. Mm, yeah, that's another. That was another definite issue. Uh, if you ran, there was, you know, there was a significant learning curve to even the first part of the game because fourth edition was sort of built to. There, there was, I, I think, a, um, I want to be careful here because I don't want to impugn too much intent, but I, I, based on what I saw towards the end of um, third edition and the beginning of fourth on the forums where I was pretty active, it felt like fourth edition was being developed to countermand specific failures of third edition. And it was being built largely for for the third edition audience who was um who was asking who was raising a lot of the same problems in the in the forums over and over and over again and they were they were built to to i think i mean this was this is my this is my impression fourth edition was a lot of it was built to to specifically counter things like um 
the challenge rating problem in third edition because it was eyeballing challenge rating for monsters was just sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't sometimes you had a good experience and sometimes you didn't and it was large it was like very random combat felt very asymmetrical uh because the the players could have capabilities and vice versa mm -hmm. that you know there was not it didn't feel like levy a level playing field in any sense it was like combat as as warfare not combat as sport right. and you know which can be fun i'm not saying i'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum there like that's that's a definitely a, a kind of thing i can enjoy uh but it it leads to a great deal of satisfaction when a lot of players are coming to the game with the expectation of combat as sport and mm. um <laughs> i just yucked cam's yum apparently um uh but uh you know when a lot of, there's a lot of there's an expectation of like we were showing up here to fulfill these particular principles which are um we want to we all want to have fun and we basically want to have a uh story wherein we get to be badass heroes at, at you know at the end of the game like that's that's the thing we want to be a it's cool in some way so we're p playing wizards and you know basically fantasy superheroes uh, in order to uh, have this particular experience, which third edition delivered on, or had made significant promises about, and delivered on, if you knew how to do it, or if you didn't know how to do it, it could be very unwieldy and really, uh, really, um, it, it it could be exploitable uh, in ways that made the game worse for everybody involved, and. Mm -hmm. It, it would it it didn't take and there are ways also where it mechanically failed to like connect between what players wanted and what it could deliver i i think um so fourth edition came around and i think was was like okay well, let's make it so combats can you know the gm can pick up the book the monster manual know what level his party is and then build an encounter in like 30 seconds right like let's pick some monsters out of the back i want a striker i want a blah blah, blah. i want right. you know I, and and you can just build it and boom you're done and you don't have to spend like several hours like building a monster because the players will you know have gotten to i don't know 10th level and now have capabilities that you are in such combinations that like predicting what they could do is fucking impossible so you kind of like as a GM, you're kind of like winging it and just like, okay, I guess this might, this sounds like a cool idea. I hope they can handle it. Yeah. And sometimes like that thing, that thing dies before it gets to go. And sometimes it's like a near TPK and you're like, I don't know how to modulate that in one direction or the other, like until you get a real sense by just doing it a bunch. Right. But you know, mm -hmm. one, one experience like that can be enough to turn somebody off of the game for good. So um, or at least upset somebody enough to really complain about it on the forums. Yeah, but that is like the limitation. Like mm -hmm. that is the point where it's like, okay, um, I created a character. It took me two hours to make this character. This is my first time playing D and D, and the first time we get into combat. Oh, uh, okay, you didn't dodge that. It went past your armor. Um, they got a critical hit. Um, oh, sorry, you're dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was another yeah, thing. Uh, Fourth edition was specifically designed to counterman was like one hit wizards, right? 
So. Yeah, like, it, it, it turns out that, you know, if you're, the amount of time you play the game is shorter than the time that you prepped for the game. <laughs> that usually doesn't feel that good. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, it, it, it can, it can be really frustrating, you know, I think for anybody. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, to some degree, the solution that's often offered is for the GM to fudge the dice. But at that point, it's like, okay, if this is an inherent problem that actually shows up semi-regularly for, you know, new players, and this is at the very start of the game when the game is the most balanced. That is an issue. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's an issue. I mean, they. I mean, you can see that they kept that for fifth edition, right? So you don't. You don't. It's 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 way harder to die at first level in fifth edition mm -hmm. than as third. You know, there's a lot of stuff they kept in from fourth in fifth. Um, you know, the 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 really tight math structure, for example. Uh, you know where. Yeah, you know, and they they kept they added bounded accuracy, but they you know fourth edition had a fairly tight math structure, way tighter than third, and I think fifth edition clamped down on it even more because it's really hard to get, you know, past a certain point in fifth edition with bonuses. Like it's a very and and spells are much more limited too in terms of what you can have active, mm -hmm. and there's all kinds of. Um, but to me, that just that makes fifth edition feel artificially constrained. When I play it, it feel it, it just feels like tight. And I you know, but not in a way where it's elegant tight, but like I wish there was I wish I could do other things with this tight. And it's not uh, I guess that's a limit of mine. Um it feels like all autopiloting, Sabrina has so eloquently put in the chat. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's 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 like you have you have the things you can do on a turn and there's not some things are obviously better than others, and there's not like a ton of wiggle room there. Like, you know, I, I've heard many accounts from people that like you can somebody can walk away from the table in fifth edition and somebody can grab their character and basically play it. And that you can take that as either a bug or a feature, you know? Like I that could either be because that was hard to do in fourth edition. Like and probably impossible in third edition plus past a certain point because I I've definitely tried to pilot somebody else's third edition character at like sixteenth level and not knowing where the levers are, you know. So yeah, I I would say that depends whether it's a a feature or a bug depends really on whether on how universal it is. Like some players do actually want a very simple, easy to use character that they don't really have to think that much about, where mm -hmm. they just say, I hit it. I hit it again. I hit it really hard. Uh -huh. It's like, okay, do you want, I want to hit it again. It's like, okay, that's all they want. Yeah, nothing wrong that, with that. That's totally fine. If that is an option in the game where you can play like a class or some sort of combat style where you can choose to just I just beat the crap out of it in mm -hmm. the most blunt and simple way possible and it's like yeah that that would be a feature mm -hmm. if everything in the game like that is like that that 
can be a feature in terms of combat is really simple. Like mm -hmm. if you're trying to get, you know, set a low floor for complexity so that people can play the game and combat is not really the focus of the game. That's mm -hmm. fine. If you're selling your game as this is tactical combat and it's like the height of like going into a dungeon and murdering stuff and it's like every character ends up feeling like that, then you have a problem. That is now a bug because this is no longer a feature when like the primary thing it's supposed to do, it's not really doing. Mm. Like mm. if every everybody just winds up feeling the same and like they're not unique having well not even just not unique but like if it feels like there are no real choices for the players where it's like it doesn't matter if you're a warrior that's auto attacking every turn or you're the warlock that's eldritch blasting every turn it's like okay it's like what's the like you can just swap out one player for another and nothing feels different then you might have a problem if this is supposed to be a large part of what makes your game stand out hmm. yeah yeah again that's, it's yeah go ahead Rob. no go ahead no no please it's really about the the sort of uh, expectations coming into it, as well as like how not only is that like how the game is designed, but also how the players choose to potentially like step on each other's each other's toes in like defining the roles of the characters. Hmm. Is that fair? That's an interesting question. I you know the the game that comes to mind that that does that the best probably and is the most straightforward about is Thirteenth Age, hmm. where where they have um, they say bar like they they call out in the beginning like barbarian is the easiest class to play it's the most simple but it still has um, it still has like you know a couple of levers to pull and then it goes all the way up to rogue is one of the more complex ones interestingly uh, and then wizard obviously but um it just it's it's the one time i don't i don't really know of too many other games that have like call outs in difficult like in complexity of play and differentiation so well labeled yeah yeah 13th age uh, as cam said being dnd with designers notes and vision is kind of great um, I want to go back to what you said, Mark. Could you could you rephrase what you said? Um, I think my question was more about whether there's like because so Catrice's point was about um, sort of players um, having this sort of independent definition of what mm. they do, or like having it. Uh, I know you said it wasn't just uniqueness, but I think it's sort of um, the the dynamics of how this like team comes together, if I'm not mistaken. And I was wondering how much of that came from the game and the design of it versus how much that came from the players interacting with each other and finding sort of that niche definition within each other. Mm -hmm. Like, or like working together in a way to become separate. 
Yeah, I think we'd covered this, like, was it two weeks ago or something? But the idea that, like, uh, yeah, like, there's, there's kind of, like, niche protection and such where, but there's also a thing where if you're going to do gameplay as a team, then you can either have everybody is working together and basically doing the same thing and it's because you have like a bunch of people that are doing the same thing they're able to do something more than they would normally like say if everybody's really strong and everybody works together at punching the door well you've got five barbarians all punching the door eventually the door just dies but then there's also a different set of teamwork where everybody brings their own unique skill set to the table and it's like okay mm -hmm. you can't you can't break down this door fortunately one of us happens to be good at picking locks so the teamwork becomes spread out in a different way and i think the latter version is generally what most people usually end up preferring is is that they're going to bring something to the table that other people just can't mm -hmm. to some degree like mm -hmm. it's fine if people can do several different things but you want to do them in a different way so that when a different situation comes up somebody can have their moment to shine that they're helping everybody else out mm -hmm. in a way that nobody else can kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. It, niche protection is a weird one, right? Because you do in a, some sense you want to be able to let the players set their own niches in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I think that happens somewhat naturally, but I agree with you that one of the issues with um a, a a number of rpgs is 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 that it um they do stuff like ability gating interactions with situations like uh you know let's let's take shadowrun for example where like it's it's pretty egregious like you have um you have literally three different layers of reality you have the the meat world you have digital and then you have magic and if you don't ha if you don't have a cyberjack and you don't do hacking then you don't really interact with the digital world that much and if you didn't buy something in character creation then you can't really touch the magic world so when you have players that are you know literally perceiving and interacting with different planes of reality the game has a tendency or you know the G, some gms can really do this uh well um but in my experience it's been that the the game kind of grinds to a halt for anybody who's not a hacker or not a magician when the magician is doing spirit stuff or the hacker is doing hacking type stuff like because mm -hmm. it, it, it there's a there's a spot where it's like okay everybody's got to sit down and and uh hacker slash magician has to make I don't know x number of rolls in a row to do something and you know they have 
it, and it's weird, right? Because some of those things are meant to happen in combat in the newer editions. They they did they've done a really. I mean, I would say that problem existed really pronouncedly in like first and second edition Shadowrun, um, less in third, less so in fourth. I don't fifth. It still sort of happened, but in a different way to me. But I think sticks they tried did stuff to be more inclusive and sort of but i don't know i i haven't really read it all that closely um it was the anyway the problem is is that you you're you're gating players out of interacting with some layer of the world simply because they made a choice in character creation and and it's a that's that's a that's a i have a have issues with that because it means that there's no there's not really good way in Shadowrun to actually go through the foundational moment of Shadowrun yourself, right? You don't have you don't have the man apocalypse experience in Shadowrun where something clicks on for you and some some massive change takes place in the digital and the magic world merge and like, you know, you alchemize these two in your body and blah 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 blah. That you know, if I was designing Shadowrun, that's how it would happen because that's what's interesting to me. But they're interested in look like, okay, what happens when you shoot a fireball at a tank, uh, <laughs> or what happens when you chuck a grenade at a dragon? Which those are interesting questions. But th- that's I'm not really. I mean, it's a dragon. It's smart enough that it it pulls the pin out and throws it back. Right, or just eats it, or whatever. Um, yeah. Right, thank you, Cam. That's a that's a good way of succinctly putting it too. It's like the hacker playbook versus you didn't put points in hacking. You you know, haha, you have no dice. You 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 fail in this situation by default. Like there's, it's just exasperating, right? Because like this is I, you would think that these paradigms would have been they've been recognized as as faulty for so long, and they keep getting iterated on like the paradigm is not being examined as something that's kind of wonky it's it's like that we're let's use the same paradigm and just kind of make the crappy experience smoother yeah on the the matter of this being audience limitations i think that as players in general most most of the players tend to prefer it as a concept where they can interact with part of the game but they may not have the nuance or little tiny details that uh another player might have so like you come across a door and it's like okay you have different people can do different things with the door like to do the dnd example it's like barbarian can punch their way through the door the rogue can lockpick the door the mage can use the knock spell on the door like every everybody can do something to deal with the door Mm -hmm. and they can deal with the door in different ways and the ways that they deal with the door actually do kind of matter and sometimes you actually do want one person to deal with the door instead of somebody else Mm -hmm. that's fine in the shadow runway of dealing with the door as you're saying it's like okay you reach the the door um oh uh, it's 
okay, you have to hack the door. Does, does anybody have points in hacking? Anybody? Nobody put points in hacking, did they? Um, okay, I guess you're going to have to find a different way in. Yeah, well, they can blow it up, right? I mean, generally, that's that's what happens. I mean, in my experience, if somebody doesn't have points in the skill, the answer is, well, explosives solve the problem in a way where we don't need the skill. Uh, this is this is a good way for you to die. Yeah, as Sabrina was uh -huh. saying. Like, eh. yeah, it, if you do that in Shadowrun, it's like, okay, you've interacted with this wrong, you die. Game's over. Right, right. So it's like, technically, you can do this. But I mean, at that point, it's up to the GM to keep the game going like it is when any other like any other game gives you a mechanical funnel to make the game kind of suck in the moment. Like it's up to the GM at that moment so to be like, OK, so nobody has hacking. Let's see. What do they have? Oh, there's a security guard. OK, well, they have like two social people, so I'm sure they can like social engineer their way in or whatever. Like there's it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's like if, if 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 the GM can figure out a way to um, alter the adventure on the fly to fit what the characters have already built themselves to find cool, then you can you can have a good game then. Uh, yeah, my my mm, main point here though is know. that like for the limitation aspect for what the audience is willing to put up with. Like, your players are the audience in this case, usually. Um, but the the main issue there is if they aren't able to actually do anything and all they can do is just sit there and stare at the problem or ignore it or wait for one person that can do something about it, and the others can't do anything to interact with it at all. Usually, that's where the players start putting the game down. Like they, they usually want to be able to do something to interact with it, but they prefer it when somebody can do something to interact with it in a different way than they do, rather than your niche protection is set up in such a way that you are the only one that can do something with it at right. all. Right, right, right. I mean, let's take, for example, the third edition trap finding ability in D&D, because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a egregious example of this. It was like, only rogues can find traps. Nobody with a search score, no matter how high, can find traps unless you have the trap finding ability. And like, rogues are the only class that got it for like, I don't know how many friggin' books. It was a bunch. Very hard. Like, it was, you know, enforced niche protection. Like the rogue is the person that can find traps. You have to have a rogue in your party, otherwise you can't find traps. Uh, and why? Why? Why do that? There's no like well, it, they it, wanted it, there to be a reason like, for a rogue. Right. But right, it's niche protection, is... but it's, it's it's arbitrary, right? It's just like yeah. yeah. It's it's and you know, getting rid of that was a good thing they did in fourth edition and they kept they kept it out of the game of fifth, so I don't think anybody's complaining about that. Um, no, it's it, actually weirder in fifth though now because now rogues actually kind of suck at detecting traps. And that oh yeah, like bards, bards can be better, right? Because bards can have the double skill 
boost. I mean, almost yeah. everybody can. Um, Rogues get that too. Yeah, Rogue but the issue that. is um, trap detection is based on your wisdom. There is no other reason for a rogue to have wisdom, period. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, I know. Uh, wisdom saves are still pretty, like, lethal in, in D&D, right? So. Yes, but the thing is, it's like, that's literally all it's for. It's like, does it help you do anything else? It's like, it lets the rogue detect traps, and... It doesn't let them do anything. It only lets them react to things. Yeah. It it is purely passive otherwise. And even in the trap detection, it's basically passive. Like it's it's weird that it's like the rogue is just better off walking behind the cleric and let the cleric figure where the traps are and then point them out to the rogue. Like basically you need to keep the rogue on a leash. So, like, the cleric just walks ahead and is like, oh, here's, here's a trap. And they pick up the rogue and they set the rogue in front of the trap and they point out, there's a trap. It's right here. No, down further. Down. Yeah, on the floor. Yeah. No, that's a bush. Here's the trap. <laughs> there you go. There's the list. Well, I mean, you can note that, like, a lot of the roguey type skills that you would expect are actually, you know, wisdom, charisma. It's the, it's the, it's the thing like the attribute making, you know, in their, their conception of making the game make sense, they have to have skills aligned to certain attributes. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Sabrina's posting variants and stuff like that skills, different abilities. Yeah. It's like that. It's like, yeah. Okay. So just have proficient in a skill and then the ability that is being tested is based on what's happening. That would be that could be fine, but mm, I don't know. Maybe people would maybe that would violate the audience limits of D and D. Like having having attributes not tied to skills would be a step too far for some people. You know, it, who knows? It might because they're so used to it. And if you dive, if you split those two up, then a lot of the reason why you get certain attributes is like, why does the attribute exist now? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have wisdom tied to perception, what good is wisdom for the rogue at all now? Like, in some games, you can just be like, yeah, you, you want this one stat, and if you don't have this stat, then this character will suck. Uh-huh, yeah. But it's like... You also have games where it's like, okay, you have this stat, it is completely useless to you, it does absolutely nothing for you, no benefit. It it may as well not exist. It is not just a dump stat, it is a black hole stat. Like, if you want to get rid of points, like, you may as well put this stat to one, it will not affect you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I think we've uh, we there, that's that's okay. Play, things that play audience. Well, I'm trying to get back to the topic. Yeah. <laughs> things things that the audience are are are, uh, are 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 upset by enough to quit a game are things like that. 
where it's it's yeah. uh i don't even know what we were talking about well we talking okay about? um actually there is one thing i did want to specifically yes, cover bring up so not a great segue but we'll we don't do segues on the show sometimes we do but it usually stands out when we do Anyway, so one thing I really wanted to cover was the idea of like racial limitations for like where how much players can tolerate. Like, mm. there's definitely some players can go really weird. Like, a lot of uh, players after like their first or second character, they start wanting to try weird stuff because mm. they've kind of exhausted like i'm an elf and it's like yay i've got pointy ears and i'm slightly more agile than a human mm -hmm. but it's like for the majority of players for their first character they get really uncomfortable if they're not just playing human human with pointy ears short human uh -huh. strong human oh. like I, I feel like it's different now. I feel like the, the, the fifth edition like races there's more variety and like the you know, there's like bird people and, and caddy. There people are, and... but you have seen the the chart of how often yeah. these others get used. It's like yeah. oh, for every like one thousand characters, oh the Arcrocra show up like three times. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, the the have the average person is not playing this unless it's specifically beneficial for their build. Mm -hmm. Like the vast, overwhelming majority of people are going to play the the most generic human-like thing that they come across, and that's actually to the point that I didn't even want to include humans in my game because of that. Mm -hmm. But I ended up having to because if humans were not included as a playable option a lot of people just would not pick up the game they would mm -hmm. refuse to play the yeah. game and mm -hmm. it, it's not just that it would be a smaller audience it would be that the chances of you getting a group where there wasn't at least one person who refused to play the game. <coughs> Excuse me. Became vanishingly small. Mm. Like it was to the point that is like, okay, I, I have to include humans. Like I can't avoid adding them. Yeah. Because everybody needs a baseline through which to relate to the game. Right? Like that's what humans are in most games is like, this is zero. <laughs> And then we're going to, you know, everything's going to be relative to human zero, right? What, mm -hmm. The thing I like about your game is humans are actually weird in your game. Mm -hmm. Like, they actually have abilities that freak out other races, like being able to eat spicy food, like, for fun. Uh, you know, because to everybody else, that's, that's poison. Uh, yeah. And humans I, are like, no, nah, it's just, yeah. It, it, it is fun, though. Like, when you look at, like memes and such about that like the idea of like oh we're an an alien species and aliens mingle with us in the distant future and it's like oh wait um wait what are you what are you doing with 
fusion why why are you doing that to a fusion reactor why would you do that humans are like i don't know i was bored uh -huh. and the aliens are just like um uh you scare us there's something seriously <laughs> wrong with your species like there's a a really good meme about it how like a thing for like star trek the the idea of like one of they just take like one of the automated Roomba bot things and they like tie like a knife to it and it just goes through like the ship and occasionally stabs people and they gave it like a rank based on like if it if it stabs you in like the ankle or something it gets your rank and it what? becomes like yeah it's just this idea of like something this is something humans would do and oh. every other species would be like what the fuck is wrong with you people <laughs> and I, okay, humans I, would I, see I nothing going, wrong right. with it the humans right. would be like yeah this is this is an endearing trait like we have made this into like mm -hmm. the mascot of the ship it is like our pet we really care about this fucking Roomba with a knife on it <laughs> yeah uh there there is some there is something uh yeah yeah it's, i mean i that is the thing right humans humans not being boring is something that games can do it's, it's possible out there people people figure out which uh which what funny things humans do like the you know figure out the human stereotypes that other other species have of humans in your setting and then really amp those stereotypes up because it's funny mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's it's like oh yeah, humans are crazy. They'll jump off of things for no reason. Like, why would they do that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, humans enjoy jumping off of all stuff. And, and you know, I'm sure to dwarves that would be completely insane, right? That was just like, why would you do that? You're going to fall. Like, don't, it's so much safer on the ground. Like, where it's, you know, why would you, why would you do that? We like going yeah, in the but, mountain, not being on outside the mountains. Like, you know, it would be so antithetical to some species to do like in the same way that it would be antithetical to a human to 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 spend uh a hundred years doing one painting, but an elf would be like, No, that's just how we do it. It's like if you don't spend a hundred years, how it's how is it even good? It doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> but, but it's the that's... kind of thing like you don't get. And so, but okay, but let, let's tie this back into the limitations and, and audience stuff. Like, um, yeah, there, there, there are limits to what people can accept. Like, they, they do want certain things. Like, they do want there to be like a human race in the game, or at least some close, similar variant to it. Mm -hmm. And then the majority of people do not want to stray that far from it at least for their first character they don't want to go much beyond human mm -hmm. now people that have been role-playing for a while that's fine they they're they've done the human thing enough times that they're like okay i want to try something different and no an elf is not good enough i i want to play the cardboard box like what that's not no i'm playing a cardboard box okay but you can give them like weird, wacky stuff that's completely out there. And players that have been playing for a while, they'll be fine with that. 
But for your newer players, like the ones, like their limits expand over time. But the stuff at the start, you do want to keep fairly narrow. There's certain things, for example, that I had to be careful about with from when I was creating which species I was going to add to my game. And even of those species, there were like certain traits that had to be set up in such a way that the players could it would not go beyond like the audience limits like um the original concept art for dragons had really tiny eyes because it was like the concept artists made perfect sense in it and they're like well it's a dragon they're gonna be you know armored hard to hit like you don't want like a big target that you can just stab the dragon in the eye it's like yeah but unfortunately humans have a thing for eye contact mm-hmm. like they're really picky about it things like you know we we want large eyes we consider large eyes to be attractive we consider it to be you know cute or intelligent or any of a number of things mm-hmm. but when you look at like these old pictures of actually I'm while we have stuff here, give me just a second. I can actually show okay. the original picture for cool. it. Uh, I'm gonna, I want to go back for one second and look at the... Sabrina posted in chat the uh, stereotypes from elves uh, in the 5th edition section. And I want to point out something. Humans, all that haste, their ambition, and drive to accomplish something before their brief lives pass away. Human endeavors seem so futile sometimes, but then you look at what they have accomplished and you have to appreciate their achievements. If only they could slow down and learn some refinement. Okay, so nothing about a human in D&D gives me the impression that an elf would have this impression of them. This is like, this is, this is, this is how a game shows and not tell, uh, tells and not shows. <laughs> This is telling telling you that the humans, the elves should feel about, like this way about the humans. But humans don't have anything that, like, you know, they accomplish things in, in faster time compared to elves. Or they have any... Uh, their, their, their drive, as the game characterizes it, is, is mechanized by having a feat to start out with. Or... Uh, uh, some some stats it doesn't really feel like oh yeah they're better at learning things or uh they have the ability like once per session to uh mimic a an ability they see like another character use right so like it, it, it balances it normally like the humans can pull off something that 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 other characters like they become more adaptable right there, there's something about humans that is inherently more adaptable than the elves and so like humans have this thing where once per session they can copy an ability of one of the other players that so so you there's i'm just there's ways to mechanize the flavor that you're going for here and it seems like such a waste to not do it because why not why not paint your game with a full brush you know what i mean and anyway i just wanted to highlight that um 
and what what we're something that I'm I'm talking about in particular is, is that kind of thing where the games that's an that's a limit for me. There you go, audience limit. If if the game's mechanics are telling me something different than what the game's fluff is trying to tell me, generally speaking, the mechanics are going to win because the game's rules say I have to follow the mechanics. Nowhere in the rules does it say I have to follow the fluff. So your fluff's going to die. It just is like and uh, and regularly and <laughs> in many tables will it be the thing that is sacrificed on the altar of making the game make sense. Anyway, mm. I just wanted to make that. All right, so let's go back to your dragons. Uh, I'm going to open this up. Oh, yes, I remember this. You showed me this a long while yeah. back. Yeah, there's there's uh, here. Let me make sure I can see we can see this on the on the chat. So people know what we're talking about. Yeah. Do we do? OK, so you can see that, uh, yes, they have there's some different types of dragons here. There's um, uh, like one is like an, a lava dragon, it looks like of some kind. And then the other dragon is like more pterodactyly somewhat. Maybe I don't know. Hard to tell. Doesn't not important. But what you were describing earlier, these eyes. Yeah, hard to hurt. However, expressionless, right? Yeah, it it doesn't have the same effect. Like, mm -hmm. here's the same uh, magma dragon in this one, much mm -hmm. more humanoid eye shape to them. Now it's it, it's easier to actually see that like where they're looking kind of thing. Mm -hmm. which did not exist before like that's one of the major uh things for humans is the uh the sclera of the eye takes up a large amount of space in our eyes like the mm -hmm. white you can see the whites of the eyes because that lets you tell where the eyes are, are pointing we consider mm -hmm. this to be kind of important information yep also uh yeah for the the artwork um that uh sabrina was uh mentioning uh credits wow. uh the original sketches and uh designs as working with uh makishi for it um most of these other ones have been done by Chessy for credit, and one of them was by Ark Sidinian, who did like the uh, crystal song dragon with like the uh, energy wings and the scythe. All really great artists. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has been really good to work with them. Sorry. I'm sorry, I zoomed in on this one. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the fox, uh, yeah, but yeah, the uh, yeah, it's very flavorful stuff, like the art is really, um, yeah, it's neat. So ultimately, are you finding that like with this art, you are helping set the expectation of what play will feel like? Or is this just in terms of um, appealing to the player to 
having them sort of engage with the different like creatures, I guess, in a way that they can better relate to. Mm. Well, it's there's been a few reasons for why things are set up the way they are in the art. So some of the art has been set up specifically to show things a certain way. So um, actually, I'll give a very specific example here. This was like the first finished art piece that I'm going to show here. And it was done for the Fraxians. It was the first test one I got Chassis to do. And specifically, it was set up so that there were a couple of things that were being shown in this picture. I explicitly, I wanted the armor and such to be done in such a way that it didn't cover their body shape because this is the first picture that you see of like a Phyraxian in the book. Mm. So the first time you see them can't be covered in plate mail. You right. have to actually be able to see the body, what they're supposed to look like after mm -hmm. this. So they basically got the plate mail bikini kind of concept just because mm -hmm. it's the kind of thing that you can actually do in the game. Like uh -huh. there's, there's you support actually, plate mail bikini. Yeah. I, I do actually support it. Like this would count probably as heavy armor, despite that it's not all that heavy looking. But you can do it. I also wanted to show off things like, yes, you can enchant your weapons. Specifically, you can enchant them to do like elemental effects. So you can see like one is clearly ice, one is clearly fire. This was intentional to be shown off. Yes, you can have ridiculously oversized weapons. Yes, you have like a world that has like it's clearly not Earth, like there are floating islands in the background that are mm -hmm. tethered by chains and such. And you can see the size of the chains, like there's one right next to mm -hmm. one of the characters on the page, and these are taller Big than your average human. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was stuff like this. Like there's a lot of things that were going into trying to emphasize different aspects of the game in a picture, but also so that you get the sense of, I I want to play one of these. I want to see this stuff. It's like, mm -hmm. there's sometimes there's just art there for the sole purpose of, you know, having those, either showing where the limits are, or sometimes it's, just uh, to make people ask a question why. Like, one of the, the best examples I have of that is literally just this picture, which is actually like my profile picture on most things now, because people want to ask, what's up with the, uh, the picture? And then they see the full picture and it's like, what the fuck are they doing to that sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, this kind of thing actually, 
I found opens what the limits the audience will accept are. Mm. Because like that latest picture, like that is actually a good example where it's like, it's basically like a magical Tesla coil and they're experimenting on a sandwich for no particular reason. I'm not going to, I am not going to explain what it is. Mm. You will have to figure this out for yourself. All I can say is that if it doesn't require a magical Tesla coil to, you know, basically do your cooking, are you even, you know, making lunch? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but once you've introduced something like this that's like so beyond what the the standard limitation for someone would be then everything else is more acceptable after that point mm -hmm. like there is a level of desensitization to a degree there where you can push things so far that people be like okay maybe i don't want to do that in particular but now all this other stuff seems normal in comparison mm -hmm. i'm okay with the rest of this other stuff now Right. That's an interesting way to do it. I mean, I mean, art, art can do, can do a lot of heavy lifting in that regard, both in terms of conceptual, uh, conceptual bootstrapping and also, and also, um, getting people comfortable with certain ideas. I mean, like, you know, the, the art in, uh, in Vampire the Masquerade was incredibly evocative. And so I think that helped get a lot of people into the game when otherwise the people that would be attracted to art like that would not ordinarily play role-playing games right so it opened i think i mean it unquestionably opened up a huge chunk of the market to to aim aim the art at uh, a more mature audience and it was something i think they uh they um leveraged quite well throughout the 90s and they had a higher you know particularly the second edition books when they uh went to hardcover had such a high level of art and like really high quality stuff uh that it it uh set a new standard for what to expect uh particularly werewolf the apocalypse second edition was like just a crazy artsy book like it was really it really went i mean it had it had it had claw marks in the cover type thing like there was actually holes in the cover um and it was you know it was like a pretty pretty radical book for the time like it was really well presented and um that stuff was was well i think i think all that fits yeah. in really nicely to like um discussing content in the game and how that's uh sort of a vector for um also finding hard limits that people can encounter. Like mm -hmm. the, the kind of content that would draw someone into the game is the same thing that if either that expectation isn't met or if it's subverted in some way, that might cause people to hit that hard limit for themselves of wanting to leave as well. Um, and before we started recording, we were talking about um, intentionally getting to like, design your game around people um, 
coming to face with those limits that they might set for the content of the game. Um, and specifically, Rob, you were talking about how you're doing that in Ashes. I don't know mm. if you've touched on that yet. If you wanna... Yeah, I can, I can explain. I mean, yeah. so, so the way it works right now, um, the structure of the game encourages you. Cat, uh, your mic is very clicky when you're typing. <laughs> sorry, sorry. All right, good. It's all good. Uh, just letting you know. Um, the um, but what 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 the way it works is you um, when you encounter a new concept when the game is booting up, you you and the players, every all the players word cloud it um, in individual journals and you sort of discuss what the most resonant terms that you came up with were and those go on to the central big map and become sort of uh pivotal concepts in the game so like the you know one of the first things this is not a spoiler one of the first things that you write down the first thing you write down in the book is fog because that's the very first thing you see the very first thing you just you're out you have a wall of fog and then you word cloud about that and whatever um words that the players sort of align on for for the fog become characteristics of of the fog so it it, it can take <laughs> yeah i mean wouldn't that be weird if it was like if london was a thing and then okay so ashes this this ashes of the of the magi is taking place in a in a, in a fucked up london that could that might happen i don't know um that's a possibility that the game kind of didn't offer before, and now it does. And uh, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Um, so, so the acceptability part, there's going to be certain concepts that are are universal. The game is prompting you to word cloud about, and um, yeah, thank you, Sabrina. It's integrating a small world creation game within the start of the game, which is cool. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, it is a little bit, and it doesn't stop. That's the thing. Um, that that world creation is uh, a consistent feature of sessions. So when you guys encounter a new subject, the way a mechanic works is you explore it. That's one of the things you can do, and exploring it allows you to word cloud about it and draw concepts out and um, figure out different approaches and ways of, of, of doing things in a situation. But it, it's, it's something that takes, it's, it's, I'm not really sure what to call them. Like it's an action. It's one of three ways you can explore a thread or, right. or one of three ways you can interact with a thread um, through explore. Uh, the three ways are explore, engage and evolve. So you can word cloud about it. You can, um, you can in, engage means you, you approach it in some manner. So that thread becomes manifest and then you there's a scene that happens around it. And then evolve it means you are trying to change something about that thread. That could be Pokemon one of the stick. I'm sorry? For approach it, poke it with a stick. Poke it with a stick. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, that could be, you know, but I would want to know what you're trying to do. See, see that that could be an explorer. It's kind of odd though. Like you're trying to change something before you know what it is. Um. Like if I was no. the first. You, you, yes, anyway. you, yes, you can do that. Yes, but you can do that in real life too. You can stick your hands in the gears before you know what's going on, and I, I have to support that. 
So, so you can, so what happens then is you, you are sort of entering into a situation blind and then you kind of have to take what comes and that, that situation is where the guide has to probably do most of the, like more heavy lifting than otherwise, because uh, I, you know what, I have to figure out how exactly that is going to work because the to evolve i mean you have you kind of have to have the engage first to know to figure out what about the situation you want to change otherwise it won't really it's you know you, you know what i mean like once you engage with a threat like you can explore a threat and have have find out things about it and narrate what that looks like and you can engage with a threat and narrate what that looks like but in order to evolve it you have to be one bodily present generally speaking um unless you're using weird because that's different but that's a different that's that's a different mechanic um and so there's you're already it's a it's assuming you've already engaged with it on some level because you can't you can't you can't change something without touching it still the 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 phrase that you used of i have to do that I I have to include this in the game. That is kind of an interesting thing as well, because mm -hmm. it implies that there is an audience Good limit point. there. Like, if you do not include this, then the players will start to reject it. It's like, mm -hmm. I want mm -hmm. to do this thing and I can't. It, it's, it's a limitation in the reverse sense, almost like... It's not meeting expectations. It's, it's, yeah. it's failing to meet expectations. Because the expectation would be, uh, you give me an action. Why are you arbitrarily limiting me in that action? Like, and that would be a thing that I would certainly, yeah, especially the arbitrary action. aspect of it, right? Where it doesn't it's, feel like there's any good reason why I can't do this, right? Exactly. See, the thing is, I'm not sure that that's going to come up because it might not. The limitation might not be arbitrary. It might be there's nothing to interact with. <laughs> And there's no, there's nothing about the situation I want to change. I have found out things about it. Maybe there's a fact in there I want to change, but in order to do that, I actually have to go to where that fact is, whatever no, that fact is. There's, there's definitely like one of my playtesters would definitely do that just to see what happens. Like they have a yeah. Okay, so here, like here, here testing I understand. every. I understand here, here, but, but here's what would happen in that situation. So the conversation would go like something like this. Oh, I want to, I want to evolve this thread. And I would go, okay, how? And they would say, I want to make what more what? Like if there's nothing there, there's nothing to do to the thing. So you either have to figure out, like you have to instantiate what it is you want, what it, the situation is, and then how you want it to be different. And until you have those things, evolve doesn't. There's nothing to do with it. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no grammatical structure that will actually make that question make sense. So the the limitation might not be arbitrary at all. It could be still be a limitation. I don't deny that there's a limitation there, but I think perhaps the limitation is not is not arbitrary. I think it's I think it's <laughs> I think it's a necessary one because you you can't have a sentence without a subject and an object. And, you know, 
there you go. And you you can you can instantiate yourself, by the way, in Ashes as the subject and object of your exploration, because you can you can instantiate yourself as a thread. In fact, you do. Uh, so you can you can keep exploring yourself um, through yourself or through one of yourselves. You have three, um, and you know. <laughs> These are these are ideas that I'm doing my best right now to sort of um, figure out how to get these to land in such a way that they're usable tools. Obviously, uh, it, what 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 they do to the story should be reasonably intuitive. Like explore sounds like a reasonably. I, I think evolve might be a weird one. That might be like the gappy one because it's like, okay, what do you mean I evolve a thread? How does that? How does that sort of, um, what does that mean? Uh, so there's, and why is it different from engage? You know, what, how come I can't change something by engaging? And the answer is you can, but it's going to be the, mm -hmm. what, what the risks and, and inherent, inherent risks and consequences of that thing are, are different. Like, you can you can get a situation to change by engaging with somebody who's also touching that situation and persuading them to behave a certain way that will enact change you can also enact that same change by saying uh i'm going to make a change irrespective of anybody's feelings about this and then you have explored and then you want to evolve something but you do not engage with any of the people there you could say i want to change this fact about it and i want to do it so that nobody notices and you haven't bothered to ask anyone or figure out how that's going to impact the people involved and that's certainly a thing you can do and guess what it's more expedient because it eliminates a step it's way easier generally i mean it's not necessarily easier but it eliminates a step it does save time uh, however, you also risk uh, bucking stuff up by not speaking to the people that that you're affecting. So that's an option, though. Um, you can. I don't know that it's possible to do anything with a thread before exploring it because you, like I said, you need that subject object just grammatically. And um, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure if that answers the question. <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm just discussing this the 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 um the structure right now. Right. Uh I'm I I guess I'm um are you viewing this as a way that people can potentially use these threads to engage in a direction that they choose like is that the, the yeah okay. yes yes thank you um yeah the idea is that is that the you know players pursue their own their own interests there uh when things land on the big board those things can pursue you so there's there's a give and take between the scopes um so like for example like your notebook is is like your 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 character sheet is your bookmark and that is like the most personal scope that is so that contains yourselves and then um your troop members the, the characters that are that are that are with you and 
that goes in your notebook and that that's sort of your personal that sort of catalogs and, jur and journals your personal your character's personal journey through the world of ashes and then because the game's sort of asynchronous you don't a page turn doesn't necessarily mean the same amount of time is passing for each player it could be the, the case that like your part of the story is done and you want to move, move on to the next thing and you can turn the page and sort of uh click through to another um set of events and see how things change for you and that might make things change on the board for everybody but since you're the one of the conceits of the game is that your characters can see the future that actually is somewhat beneficial if somebody's doing that right um i'm not sure how that's going to be that could play out in all kinds of weird ways but the point the point is just like i don't know how it's going to play out so i'm what i'm trying to do my the best thing i'm i mean the, i'm doing my best to set up a game where the structure of it actually molds to what the players want the structure of the game to be so that the like i'm giving players tools to structure their own their own optimal play experience if i can meaning that like if you want to do a political game i've given you the tools to sort of do a political game and and make that your fun thing and it's going to be like the ways you engage and the ways you evolve threads might look pretty similar in a political game but one could be like a much more direct i mean evolve would be a much more direct um change to something and uh engage might be setting up future things that 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 are future relationships that you want to take advantage of or, or 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 pass uh trust that you want to um use or exploit or however you uh you see fit to proceed but as as i'm as i'm building this this out like i'm i really I really want to just give players a bunch of tools and get out of their way and see what happens. And, mm. and, and the journaling aspect is really interesting because the word cloud thing brings in that it gives, it gives the agency to players that's usually reserved for game masters only, which is to creatively pick out the parts of the setting they think are cool and include them. It, it's very similar to what you do in the beginning. Where you have you have your questionnaire and you're 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 getting, you're letting the players tell you what they think is cool and then letting them play around with what you think is cool and what they think is cool not not what you think is cool um, what they think is cool and I like that inspired me so much to to try and at least match in principle that idea because I mean I was trying to do it anyway at the time we talked about this when when you did it and I was like oh man the, the this questionnaire is such a good way to do it I mean I don't think I can use it in the way because I have certain things about the setting that are kind of fixed like the magic is kind of fixed and and certain other things and the fact that there's an apocalypse is kind of fixed um so but within those within those barriers within those boundaries I want to I I you know it's it, the game has opened up more to to include to be more inclusive of um various play styles at this point so it's i'm I'm trying as best i can to to let it support um different pacing as well different kinds of yeah i mean this actually yeah. to get into limits again mm -hmm. especially for the audience yeah I'm go i've been going long i hear you yeah this might actually 
have some unintended issues as well. Like not, I don't think it's terribly big ones, but it it can be for some players because there's there's definitely a limitation on some players where they do not want to be mm-hmm. given like the responsibilities of GM. Like it's right. not even like analysis paralysis. It's just some people some players in particular they do not want to create the world they don't want to make decisions for the most part it's like they're like just tell me where to go and what to kill (laughs) right i mean i i hear you and that's a big reason i i was struggling with that for a long time right because that's i really want to support those players too if i can like the players that are just like okay just give me a thing and um you know, the word clouding aspect, I think, is like the softest way I can encourage creativity because there's nothing like the word clouding thing has like almost no stakes. <clears throat> so all it's doing is asking you what naturally comes to the surface. And that's it's a very low stakes and there's no mechanical like plus minus no nothing messes with your the amount your you know there there's like a a a reasonable timer i think i'll probably say like 30 seconds or a minute or something like that well i'll play test that obviously um i don't want it to be a pressured thing you know i want uh, i want it to be um the kind of thing where you where you think about the word for a second and um i would imagine that like you know a two minutes per thing is probably but these are i want to make it clear that these are when you encounter a new thing in in, in, through the opening like these are sort of bigger moments so it's not happening all the time it's like you're you're creating your 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 the the concepts being handed to you by the game um very broadly and then you're you're asked to sort of relate to it and uh give give the game feedback on what it means to you and then that that more specific meaning is what the game uses to then sort of sort of create the positive feedback loop of oh you like this thing let me give you this thing um so so making making that low state and keeping that keeping that a um an activity that that is almost therapeutic um in that there's there's a sort of a, a low pressure system involved and you don't have to show you don't have to have to show anybody your word cloud Let's like this is a very specific part of 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 the book is like you don't no you don't have to show anybody your notebook at any time like that's actually your story like you it, you know if you if you're go, you interact with the main map um you you are talking about so the way the way weird speech works right it was is like you can talk about things in your notebook and players can and you can you can discuss like parts of your weave with other players and tell them about things that are coming up that might affect them and like um have that table interaction as a as an in-story thing that's happening Mm. uh but you don't at at no point does the game 
will the game require you to show or hand your notebook to anybody like any like even even the guide can only affect your notebook indirectly by using words in the center so they can't do anything to your to your book at all so like what i'm trying to give players i mean you yeah you're right in that there's a responsibility um that i'm asking players to take on but i'm also giving them uh what i consider to be almost ultimate agency in an rpg which is you're writing the book of your you're writing the book you're writing the book of your experience you can actually one of the things i'm playing around with this idea and i don't know how far i'm going to take it one of the things you can do with weird might be to write new rules of the game into the book um i don't know that might be interesting (laughs) about agency for players is that part of actual agency is the choice to not be an agent yeah suicide which which is well that's not the that's what it is i mean that that, that's that's that you're talking about fundamentally um the choice to not be an agent is 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 a a minor self-removal yeah a minor self-removal in a lot Mm -hmm. of cases like oh the players often like I've noticed that there are definitely players that I've encountered where they don't really want to be the leader. They don't want to make decisions. They're fine with just going along with whatever people do. And it's like, that is part of their agency is to opt not opt yeah. to be the one that's making the change. Yeah, I feel you. I, I mean, so how I... Well, I, I want to support those people too. The way I do it is yeah. I have, I, you don't necessarily have to be the leader of your troop anymore. <laughs> so you can be a faded that kind of fades into the background of your troop and have a different leader. That's not you. Yeah. And, and externalize that, that leadership capacity. Essentially to an NPC, if you want. Yeah, that helps a bit it is weird though that like to a degree like everybody wants to be a hero but nobody necessarily but most people don't actually want the spotlight as weird as that is right I understand. because it's like a lot of games have been pushing in the last few years to share the spotlight mm-hmm. and what i've found is that there are definitely players where they do not like the spotlight on them (laughs) i they it's like sabrina was saying there is like a player maybe more reactive in style in small but important moments like they they want to be there like oh somebody's like falling off a cliff and like they want to be the one to be able to like catch them before they fall but mm. until that situation comes up they do not want anybody to really pay attention to them they don't really want people to like turn to them and be like okay what are your thoughts on this matter it's like oh well i mean that's the thing i'm not that's hopefully i'm taking that pressure off by oh by doing the word the word cloud thing because i'm not asking i'm not asking the guide to ask the players any direct questions yeah i'm not asking this is is the the thing 
Yeah. This is the thing. This is the thing how I'm getting out of the fiction first pro trap where you have to have you have to have proactive players in order in order to make the game run. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because yeah. that is that is an audience limit, a very strong mm-hmm. one at times. One I, 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 yeah, and one I've encountered personally. Like I I you know, it was to the point where I felt bad for her. You know, somebody who's who is in a dungeon world game. I was, you know, and it's the GM's job to move the spotlight on 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 people in 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 the apocalypse world type stuff. But you know, more proactive players are gonna have are gonna get are gonna do more stuff. You know, they're gonna say more stuff. They're gonna and and I, you know, the 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 thing that I could do the the way I saw in to help those the players that um are unsure about speaking up is to let them speak up practice speaking up by speaking up multiple times in succession in writing so nobody can hear it and then if Mm. they can do that then maybe they can pick out one or two really good things to say and then that's that will help uh so it gives them a little bit more you know those players that don't feel off often put on the spot what i'm trying to do is give them more breathing room i mean there's i you know i i've had players like this i've been and i've been like this so it's like it's not it's not like i i don't empathize with this it, it, it's a it's a it's a real problem in a lot of rpgs that that the the spotlight is almost synonymous with the barrel of the gun you know where you have you have like yeah uh all the yes you're the star of the show but also all the pressures on and I didn't. I'm. I'm glad I found this this word cloud thing. I don't know what. I mean, it came to me because I was just you basically writing the book, doing that just like on on pieces of paper, like trying to figure out like what how I can get this thing to work. And I realized like, oh, what I'm doing is the thing. Duh. <laughs> right. Like, how do you come up with with concepts and nail them down such that they can be worked with? Oh, well, let me see. Let me. Oh, I'm doing it right now. That's the process I'm undertaking. I'm dumb. Thank you, me, for you know highlighting the fact that I was doing the thing I was trying to figure out how to do, and then be like, "Hey, you're there." And then I was like, "Oh, right. Why don't I just ask him this? This is like way low effort. Like in terms of in terms of commitment to any one particular idea. Um, one of the things I'm one of the things I also want to let players do is like have that have that ability to instantiate multiple multiple potential futures for their character right they can throw into their future their future notebook like they can throw a thread into the future it's like oh i'm going to be the, the, uh, a great swordsman at by this point or i'm going to be a great wizard by this point and those can be on the same page and they might be mutually exclusive but you can you are going to you're setting yourself you're setting your character a goal um I mean, I, it's it's going to be more specific than that, obviously. But like, you're setting your character a goal, and then if they achieve it by that point in the book or not, you don't know. Well, right? it's also so, interesting because it yeah. gives sort of a direction of where they want their character to go in. It doesn't even mm-hmm. need to be realized, but just this concept of this was something that was important to your character's future, and that by like playing on that thread, that story has unraveled in a new way that this is like sort of creating a um, an avenue of your player's autonomy so that you mm-hmm. can act on that 
in the context of the game that you're setting up. Like, there's a there's a uh, a volitional engine that you're making of yeah. like, I want this to be the future, um, and that like all of your other threads that come from it, or all of the other like branches, are all mm-hmm. possibilities still. But this is something that you as a player are driving towards. I think that's a really cool way of looking at um, sort of like generating this um, the content that your game is going to be about um, yeah. and how to, how to move everyone in a similar direction by tying all these other concepts in from like each player has this and if there is overlap or if they have similar concepts then they can kind of tie into the greater game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that. Thank you. Yeah, it was. I was. I'm so happy. It fucking happened finally. I was so worried. I've been working on this fucking structure for so long. And it's just like the simplest. I mean, you know, it's simple now. It's like, oh yeah, obviously. But like, when you're looking at it from the point of view of an RPG, like the notebook was the key thing. Like I was because I was conceptualizing a story that starts in the middle, right? Like you, the, the, you are you wake up in the middle of the apocalypse and you're you're building the story out. And I'm like, okay, so how do I do that? What do I how do I like? Do I use note cards? Do I use like full thread? Like literally, like you know, push pins on on with threads on. Like what do I? And I was like, oh, I've got. I'm I'm using this notebook. I'm using this pen to figure this idea. I'm like, oh right, I can just. It's a journaling game, right? Cool. It's like like and 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 you know, I had read not too long ago, Thousand Year Old Vampire, which is like an excellent journaling game. It's very prompty. It's very much like a. You're playing, I mean, it's one character, right? You're playing a thousand-year-old vampire. You don't know exactly what that vampire is like, but it's, it, there's a lot of, you know, there was some good structure that inspired some stuff, I'm certain, shook some stuff loose. Right. Uh, Headspace, too, also. Also, like, I just, just picking that book up and having it near me, I feel like had some, had some effects in, in terms of, like, wh- how much I'm, how much bleed I'm willing to have between characters that's involuntary because I'm not really like picking up on what headspace is doing with their, with how their stuff works, but it, it gave me a really good idea of the map of possibility in that space. It helped like it was because it was like a, a the, he handled it in this effort or he, they, I don't know the author. Um, they handled it in, in a particularly, in a very particular way to their to their game and that's that's the thing i think that makes games really really great is if is if the the subject matter is handled in a way such that it's it really supports the experience that you're trying to deliver to the players and having this this um bleed between character sheets was really interesting but i realized that you need there has to be like a a world medium for the bleed in ashes right. you know i have to have like it, there has to be the idea i had you know way long time ago there being like a central sheet that that pe- people are marking up um definitely i'm so glad that made it through but that was part of the key of that intermediary space where players have i mean it can affect them because that's what the guide is doing that's the world right so the world has the ability to affect you against your will um but there's very little it creates it creates a layer of intentional protection between the players 
so that something I do in my notebook can't really directly affect your notebook unless I'm completely, unless I'm really trying to, right? Meaning like you've said something that you're doing in your book and then I'm like, oh, I want to help you with that. And then you say, okay, cool, come along or whatever. Or you're saying, I want to do something in that book. And you're like saying, no, because if you do that, you're going to fuck up this thing that's in my book. And then you have a conversation and there's, there could be, I'm trying to figure out how I want to resolve those conflicts where players are coming, have conceptualized a very similar uh, thread, but with different outcomes and how to, I, I, I think what's going to happen, I don't think it's not going to come down to a role. What I'm going to do is I think is I'm going to offer, um, some kind of ritualized circling practice where you actually negotiate out what the other one actually wants from the situation. Yeah. It's it's going to be an interesting problem to solve. Um, yeah. Because I think it, the idea of having everyone contribute sort of these ideas or threads of where they want mm -hmm. the game to go is interesting. And it, it does remind me of like what I'm trying to do with Praxis. Yeah. The idea mm -hmm. that like the way that you're... Um, adding this like context like just to bring it back to the topic of uh how we're pushing the envelopes of what this interaction is going to look like is through some of these actions on how you play on threads i think that's going to be really interesting because it's it's intentionally trying to get people to not just be safe and like oh i want to be a great swordsman but like what are you willing to do to be a great swordsman or what yeah. how does this affect the rest of the world or um mm -hmm what is the the dark side the apocalyptic side of this going to look like right um, and how and soon do you want to do it too that's the right. other thing like how many corners do you want to cut right and, and that <laughs> that will push the the limit i guess of what that content comfort is going to be right that's right. the intention for you is to to see sort of what um levers the players are willing to pull to accomplish those goals right the other thing is the other thing is really important there that you touched on that I want to uh, that I want to pick out as a player limit and cat I will I, I promise I will let you talk after this it's very important but the the part that's really really important that you want to touch on is that the the stuff that gets introduced to the game is already necessarily passing player consent hmm. because they're the ones bringing it up and saying this is this is an aspect of this thing about the world of ashes that i find interesting and so there so in order for in order for one of those concepts to make it onto the central table it has to be it has to come from at least two players so two people have to you know quote unquote remember or project the same the same thought form onto the world of ashes for it to to manifest so in that way i'm trying to i'm trying to help the players establish their own their own lines and veils organically by by sort of feeling out and noticing what people are doing and and pacing that and i want to make sure that players i want to make sure that i give advice for players to do that because and a guide advice for when when a player is not paying attention at all to whatever you know listen it's totally possible that you could have a guy or a girl at the table for whom uh 
every word cloud contains a you know a deliberately offensive concept let's say let's let's the worst case scenario right like this person is deliberately trying to provoke everybody at the table with with um i'm gonna call it immature <laughs> immature <laughs> immature needling um how how much how much control is is appropriate to hand over to that person because by default they can't really affect the main body of the game with their shenanigans there's a layer of insulation that i've built in um well sabrina you're saying that it's testing their responsibility play gets gets there i mean you're right yeah it is it, it's it's putting it's putting a buffer between what players say and what gets included to to you know it, it a very soft one it's a really soft buffer you know and the thing is it doesn't prevent you from pursuing that stuff in your own notebook if you want that's the other thing like just because you introduce a concept that you like and nobody else digs on it doesn't mean you have to stop following it like you can you can you can follow you can still follow that thread in your book it's probably not going to come up in the main game though. uh and if i think that's as about as sane a limitation as i would accept on something like that because it doesn't curtail it doesn't arbitrarily curtail the player's agency to to pursue what they find meaningful uh, about about the game I'm calling it a game. I'm not even sure it's a game at this point. For, to pursue what is meaningful in in the story, um, but it does it does insulate the other players from that particular content. Yeah. So at least at least yeah. it slows it down, sort of. Yeah, it slows uh, it down. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Cat. Uh, do you want to? Yeah, please jump in before. Yes, I actually wanted to segue into something Sabrina said, like over ten minutes ago now. <laughs> but, <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying because it was kind of important, but mm -hmm. it, there, there is, I do think that part of this is actually relevant to the audience limits and specifically mm -hmm. the thing that Sabrina had said of also compare that to some games asking over commitment to world building or backstory, which is a barrier. Mm -hmm. Like we have actually seen this like when we had like the flail forward thing where we tried to play monster hearts mm -hmm. uh was it i don't remember it was it you rob that like walked away during no. the like, npc creation Somebody no that was, that was that was car <laughs> was it car okay. yeah it was car he was just like i don't want to create npcs in a classroom <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that was it, the limit right yeah it was just like there this is something that like both Astros and the Magi and Praxis are particularly good about. I think Praxis even more so because when it does like the the introduce introductory startup where you're going through the questions, the questions are fairly simple and well built to cover like concepts, and they usually are fairly 
they're both broad in terms of scope of what they'll cover, but narrow in terms of scope of what the players have to come up with. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, like what's weird about this world? Like, that's that is an excellent question because you don't have to. You're not asking for over commitment by for the players to be like, okay, you have to build the entire world. It's like, no, you don't. It's like, what's the weird part about it? It's like players can probably answer that. Mm-hmm. It it is within the limits of how much effort they want to put forwards. Like, keep in mind, most players in RPGs usually don't want to do a lot of world building. They usually want to build their character. They usually don't want to build the whole world. There's usually only one or two players in a group that actually want to do a lot of world building, and they usually wind up as the GM. Right. Now, there are exceptions to that, but that it does seem to be roughly about one in five people want to put a lot of effort into creating the world itself. Right. Most people will be happy with just like minor additions here and there. Like mm-hmm. usually people are happy with adding a small little detail here and there when they think of it, but most people don't want to be sat down and said, okay, spend an hour coming up with uh yeah stuff for the world and they're like, I, I just don't want to do this. Right. Yeah, that was that was definitely an obstacle I faced too. It was like, how do I how do I how do I do this like world booting thing without being an asshole to the players and be like, hey, do the whole thing yourself? But I'm not. I'm just gonna stand back and watch or charts, which is the other thing. Dice charts has yeah, never well, sat right. Didn't didn't do the thing. To a degree, I I think during one of the older versions where we play tested for you, where it was um where we were creating the world and basically most of the world built itself off of some initial mm-hmm. points i think that worked fairly well i think it, the actual interface for that was a bit clunky and yeah a messy app but the idea of like there's something about this society that went terribly wrong Mm -hmm. and it's based off of this particular thing that is especially potent in in the society right like it's based off like their dread for example or something like that Mm -hmm. like that was very good at guiding the conversation the thought process behind it So that the players didn't really have to put a lot of thought into it. It was like, okay, here's enough of a framework for you to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like really an important limit for audience members that you have to keep in mind is that the vast majority of people, it's less so in players for RPGs, but the vast majority of people are not very creative. Like, they don't have the skill set to know how to create something. It's can, not I, can, that... I, can, I, can I interrupt you and rephrase that for a second? I want to say they're unpracticed at being creative. I think everybody Yeah, that's where I was yes. going to go. It is, it's not that they aren't creative. It's that they don't know how to be creative mm-hmm. in a structured manner, in a way that they can produce it on command. Mm-hmm. You basically have to put enough 
scaffolding up that they know the direction of what to build. Like most people can do things like ad libs. That that is a form of creativity. It's like fill in the blank. Here's like a sentence. There's a word missing. Put in the word in the middle. Or as Green said, Cards Against Humanity. I, it's a really good example. Like people can do this, especially if you give them a writing card. Like people love the writing cards. Uh-huh. So the idea is though that players are really good at filling in the blanks if you make it very clear what kind of thing is supposed to go in the blank space. But you don't have to be that specific about what actually goes in the blank space. Like they can have very broad information as long as they know that what kind of thing you're looking for. It's like, mm. just give me a sentence. And they're like, I, uh, what? Like, what? I, I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's too much. Inf- that's too vague. If it's right. like, I need a verb. People right. know what a verb is. They can come Jump. up with a verb. Yeah. Swim. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. Like giving, like deciding, deciding on what, like it's actually really hard to write good questions. It is. You know, like I was, that's, and that's one of the reasons that like, I think practice works so well is because Mark really wrote the hell out of those, that initial opening questionnaire because like it's and the proof is just it just works like um <laughs> thanks cam might as well jump uh you know i i like good david lee roth references as much as the next guy absolutely uh but 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 the idea that um you're landing on the right 10 questions like the ones that really like get players invested because it gives them the opportunity to set up something that they think is cool is not what every I've seen games like ask opening questions before. Generally, they're not of that style. Some games can real can handle that, but very, very few, very few can in the way that Praxis can, because like Praxis is like inherently a blank slate <laughs> starting point, you know. So um, you, yeah, there's almost no games that are like that where you can boot them up that fast and like be playing them that fast. Like it's cool. Yeah, that's, I think Mark did an exceptionally good job there, but it is because of the audience's limits are being taken into consideration. Like you have to know that the players are good at answering certain types of questions. Like an Mm -hmm. open-ended question only works if it it's a directed open-ended question yeah like if it's too open-ended and it's it doesn't give a direction of what kind of answer you're looking for that's that's a problem like even something like a a common question that we ask people like how was your day it's like that sounds really directed but it kind of isn't yeah because it's like, do I really want to know all the bad shit that happened to you? It's more like it, it's an op- it's a conversation opener, but it's like if you've had a shitty day, most people don't actually want to know just how shitty it was. That's true. 
I I usually I usually for that if I'm in a coffee shop or something I I'll say as they've been good so far because then it's a that's actually a yes no question they can expand on mm. uh and uh you know that it gives the opportunity to either to pick the question up and put it down you know so in conversation and some you know most of the time people will will elaborate uh and sometimes they'll just be like meh yeah it's been all right um but yeah um that yeah. is that is I a tricky Sabrina, issue though with yeah and yes Sabrina, or no question yeah serena brings up a really good point i want to the classic what do you do in in mm. rpgs right that's the that's that's the open-endedest question mm -hmm. and it can be really daunting for people and i think as as experienced rpg players and designers we can forget how daunting it is unless we we're constantly playing with new players or we have multiple experiences of playing with new players um and see the pattern over and over again like it helps if there's a structure in the game's mechanics as well yes like and it especially helps if the game's mechanics actually support an answer to that at all uh, yeah because that like that is one of the biggest issues in something like say uh the D, D issue just because of the way that it builds um combat for example like the enemy is going like the ogre lifts like this huge club above its head it's about to turn you into jelly what do you do it's like the answer is you don't have an answer to that because it's all handled automatically like right you do not have a choice in your reactions for the most part your armor class automatic your dodge chance is built into your armor class a bunch of other things like you get one thing you can do yeah like supreme said there's like one reaction mm -hmm. a turn and many classes don't have anything that uses the reaction it's like mm -hmm. this is a problem like it's like what do you do and the answer is i can't do anything I don't have the option to answer this. That that is a problem. Or if it's what do you do and there's in relation to what, like you don't like if it's what do you do, but you don't have an action that's being clearly taken against you. It's like you okay, you you're you go into the dungeon and there's an empty room with no doors. What do you do? It's like, I don't have anything to work with. Great. I search for stuff in the room? Yeah. Sorry, give me a search roll. Oh, yeah. you fail a search roll. Nothing. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Okay. That, that's, even, that's even worse because it's like, what do you do has to have valid options like the game has to present to the player there are things you can do here's at least a list of some basic things that you have for tools at your disposal if it doesn't do that though and it's just like what do you do and it's like i don't know what what can i do what options do i have if you have to ask that like what can i do then there's already a problem yeah good point uh that's a limitation for a lot of people right because let's let's be real character sheets 
are not obvious how to read them or use them. Mm-hmm. Right? This is this is like most RPG. Let's I'm gonna I wanna put plant this flag here. There's, I'm gonna get a flag that's got a flail forward F on it, and I'm gonna plant it right here. Most RPGs suck shit at UI. Like they're really yes. bad at it. Mm-hmm. Like like really bad. Like a monkey could do this better. Like the it, it, it embar- like the number of character sheets I've had to redo over the years to make them functional <laughs> for people in my group that are not hardcore gamers because I actually have hardcore and non-hardcore gamers in my in my old group. The amount of sheets I had, I was almost all of them, almost every game I had to redo the character sheet to make it usable because the way the information was organized had no correspondence to the way it was used in the game. Mm-hmm. Right? It was just a a, a a a chunky mess of of recording stuff. Like here's some stuff. Here's some blank space that's kind of got some boxes on it and and figure out what the stuff does. There's no meaning attached to any of this stuff. It's a term. I expect you to read a 400 page book to figure out what this means. Um, enjoy yourself. Also, go fuck yourself. That's the message I get from most character sheets. Uh, so I, I appreciate the the turn to playbooks a lot because that made it so you did not have to read a 400 page book to figure out how to fill in a character sheet. The meaning of the character sheet was largely apparent from the character sheet, and uh, a player that had no idea what the vocabulary meant could kind of muddle through. And yeah. and watch for a second and be like, oh, okay, I get what does what and how this works now. And and before playbooks, uh, I mean, there were like I had players that needed like weeks of boot up time to play to play a new game, like because grokking the character sheet was something that was just a real uphill battle. And who can blame them? Yeah, I mean, Sabrina's linking like a bunch of mm-hmm. character sheets at the moment and some of these are pretty bad like spires i i actually really dislike spires character sheet i know she really likes spire but <laughs> um that that sheet is awful like it's mostly just empty space that you would write in something that does not have useful information on it like even the stuff that's like a slot that you can like check mark off or whatever, it's still not useful information for the most part without knowing the game inside out. By, by contrast, it, here's an apocalypse world sheet that has text on it. The, the abilities are fully written on the sheet, for example. Um, let me let me grab another one. Uh Blaze in the Dark. Usually pretty good. Um because it, it it's a one to one relationship fiction to to uh to mechanics like what is a fine heavy weapon well it's a heavy weapon and it's a fine quality and we know what fine quality does because that's just a bonus to effect but that's not that's not the thing is is like that that kind of stuff isn't on the sheet anywhere which it it bugs me um but most of the stuff is pretty obvious as to what it does like here's how many dice you roll when taking these actions what the actions do is not a hundred percent clear, and I've had players that have had problems trying to figure out like, am I 
am I good at the thing I'm about to do or not? I want to take this action and I'm not 100% sure if I'm good at it because I'm not sure what, <laughs> what, um, what role you're going to ask me to take because this is fiction first and they're not, they don't have the confidence to negotiate the rule set with me. Irrespective of how right or wrong they are, it has nothing to do with it. I'm saying they don't, this is a, an audience limitation, right? This is, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't have any confidence to argue the rule set with you. So I'm going to be intimidated by a fiction first scenario because I'm not exactly sure if I'm good at the thing I'm about to describe or not. Like I want to, um, I want to shoot a guy from across the street, like carefully. And the player might be like, I'm intending to use finesse for this. And I might say, okay, give me a hunt roll. And they might go, oh, no, I'm, I'm trying to do this thing. And I might go, oh, okay. I mean, me, I would say, okay, um, describe it a little different to use finesse. And then they would say, okay, I, I, you know, I, I, hold my coat up so that nobody can see the gun and i like i i just i don't even like look at the target i just kind of walk by and like pull the trigger and i'm like ah cool cool that sounds like a very finesse type shooting type thing um but i what bugs me about that is having to negotiate that mm, yeah i don't that's why am i having that conversation with the player over and over again that shit is stupid Forgive me, but that that is annoying. Um, I don't want to have to renegotiate the rules with the players every time, every time they take an action. Like that. That's yeah. It, that it, that does happen frequently, as you were saying, in that sort of situation. Whereas, if you look at like say the D and D setup for it, we keep going back to D and D because Kapar is not here, but. <laughs> But they they do do it the opposite way, where yes. it's like they're they're mm -hmm. bypassing having to have this negotiation by just having the negotiation be one sided, where the GM just says the answer of what happens, regardless of what the player intended. Or it's like, okay, yeah, this is this skill role, and it's this attribute, and it's like that. The negotiation is still happening. It's just the player is not involved in the negotiation. Mm -hmm. It did not actually really solve the problem. It just kind of shoved it under the carpet and hoped nobody noticed the problem. So, yeah, that I'm not entirely sure if you can totally get away from that short of... Oh, I want to. Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing I want to make sure. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say the only real way I think that you can get away without that happening is if you make everything abundantly clear what stuff happens in what situation. Or yeah. if you make it so that it doesn't really matter what you use at a given time as much. Like, if the focus is not on, you have to use the skill that is present in this particular moment because you set this up, like, at character creation. Right. Right. Like, that—that that is the biggest issue, is that in these situations, 
the reason why you're having a negotiation is because the character cannot adapt what they're good at in in the moment. Mm-hmm. So right. you have to pick from the list of what you're actually good at. If you're not good at doing something, then it's like do something else. Right. And like that's how I've tried to get a, away with it is just like it doesn't matter as much what your actual skill is. It's just that's how much extra effort you're going to have to put in. Right. Right. Exactly. Because yeah. you can adjust it in the moment. But that's, yeah, that's right. the only way I've ever found that lets you get around that. Anyways, sorry. No, no, no. That, that I'm glad you finished that thought because that, that it pertains because um, the, uh, I, I want to address what Sabrina said in the chat because this is relevant to Blades in the Dark because I was talking about the rules there. Um, the rules in the rules, uh, Blades does not quite ask you to conduct the conversation the way I do it. Uh, the way I do it in Blades in the Dark, where I say roll this instead of roll that, is. Um, It takes longer for me to go through the whack-a-mole game of position and effect for all the thing the player wants to try until they figure out what they actually want to do, rather than me them give me the goal they want and me say what's the optimal skill to achieve that goal. It's a time consideration. So that's the reason I don't do that in Blades in the Dark, because um, I prefer the player to give me the effect they desire, and then I tell them what they need to do that. And if that's not what they were considering, then we can have a negotiation around that. But I, it's, a, it's a shorter, in my experience, I tried doing it the way they, the way they, it says to do it in the rules. and. Um, Maybe it's just maybe it's just the player group I was with. Uh, it just became really untenable. Like we, it, we, it was, yeah. It just didn't it didn't work all that well. Interesting. Um, so I, you know, I I I I had to go with this other method uh, because it it just kept the game going. Uh, I can see I, that being faster. Yeah. I I, I almost want to say that this would be an ideal to like Drake Pullman in here or something for an episode because of like his emphasis on negotiations for everything. Mm-hmm. It's like everything you do in an RPG is technically a negotiation. It's like, yes, you're kind of correct, except most players are really bad at negotiating. Yeah. Making it explicit that everything is a negotiation is not necessarily a bad idea. Like, act like a lot of people don't even realize that they're in a negotiation. So, mm-hmm. just flat out telling them, "Yes, you are in a negotiation right now. This is a social negotiation. You are negotiating how we're going to talk to each other, what the topic we're talking about is, stuff like that." It's like mm-hmm. by pointing this out, people can at least go, "Oh, well, I." Okay, I guess I. Okay, at least I know what I'm doing now. You can't really have like a really great 
negotiation, though, if you don't actually know what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. Very. Yeah. So uh, it is a nine thirty. Yeah. We have gone quite long, and uh, it's been. I, this has been an interesting chat. I actually didn't That's think good. there was that much to go on here, but it, there there was. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we. I'm glad we 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 hit the topic because there there was actually a lot because well, audience limitation does play into how we design games and how like the amount of information that we deliver and and how we do it and and how we provoke players responses uh you know without pushing them away too hard um well i think yeah. you actually were pretty accurate at the your initial summary before we started recording that this is a topic that it's either this will be too simple and we'll be done in like five minutes or we're going to be here forever because <laughs> it's going to be a bottomless well it's like it's more the bottomless well. Like we could right. probably throw another two hours in here. Yeah. Easy. Oh, so let's let me let me do the simple version then, real quick. So the simple version of audience limitation is there aren't any. You can create any game you want, irrespective of audience, and it will likely find an audience. How big that audience will be, I can't tell you. Might be one, might be three billion. Who knows? Uh, but. There, there aren't really any. There are considerations, but who cares? Do whatever you want. That's a short version. There if you you're trying to appeal to a specific audience, they will then, have limitations. Yeah. If you're trying to appeal to a broad audience, there are even more limitations, like how much uh, math you can throw into the game kind of thing. Sure. Absolutely. If there's a lot of math, you're going to severely limit how much, yes. uh, how many people will actually be able to play the game. Right. So that's the simple answer. The podcast that you just listened to was the long answer. Uh, yeah. And we can keep going probably, but we're not going to. So, so uh, we appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you uh, to the audience for being here. There's only two of us. So I'll just name Sabrina and Cam. Thanks for showing up. And uh, yes, and it's always right where you are. You, the listener right now. And you, the listener right now. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and uh, have a good night. Good night. <laughs>